0: Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast, where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you for tuning in again today. You can go to pathdesign.com. All those things, I don't ever hardly tell you. If you want to like and subscribe and all that, go for it. We have been talking about what? A Pharisaical Christmas. A unique look at the power of traditions, and in part one, we laid a groundwork on what, biblically, is a tradition. What was Yeshua um, confronting the the non-believing Jews, the the non-believing Pharisees of Mark chapter seven, what was he t- what was he most concerned with about them and what they were presenting? And it was their man-made traditions. And so, what I'm hoping to present is to run parallel the the non-believing Pharisees' traditions that they created, their oral law, and how. Christmas, in my opinion and vantage point, according to the word of Elohim alone, runs right parallel with that and looks just the same. That's how I arrived here, even at presenting this and writing out these pages to do um, this series. Is that I was I was reading the um, the the gospel accounts of Yeshua encountering the the non-believing Pharisees so many off so many times, and he would talk about their tradition, their tradition, and and you've nullified. The word of Elohim because of your traditions. And I started asking myself, first and foremost, in what ways of my own life do I make a bad trade? And I embrace what I know and what I believe and find comfort in. And thereby, I abandon my father's commands. And because, friend, as I posed in part one, it will be either or. You will do either one or the other. You will not do Christmas and the feasts. You won't. I don't know anybody who does both. I'm sure there's someone who does. I don't personally know anyone that I can think of. Now, and I know a ton of people now that do feasts and Sabbath. I don't know any of them that also do Christmas because when you put them side by side, you've got one that is a, 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 a beautiful gift given by Yahweh to memorialize for all of time, his ways, his feasts, his Sabbath, the Moedim. And then you have Christmas, which is totally a made-up man-made traditional holiday. And so you can't, there's no, there's no room for Christmas. There's it has no place. I I don't need it. You know what I mean? You're throwing out the baby Jesus and Bethlehem. No. (laughs) No, you're missing the point, and I've not been clear up until now if you think that's what I'm saying. We cling to the word of Elohim to the utmost. And everything that's within it, we love and we study and we dig and we add to our lives, yes. But we don't idolize it and memorialize it and make it something it was never intended to be because we were never instructed to do it. So, again, as we get into example two of traditions here in mere moments, I want to challenge you, friend, if you just consider yourself a nominal Christian who just believes in Jesus and loves Jesus, and I'm not saying you don't, please consider Is there any way you have done what we talked about at the end of part one, which is you've literally nullified the word of Elohim by clinging to your own traditions that you love? And I understand that. But instead, you have disregarded the commands of Yahweh Elohim because, again, they cannot coexist. They won't. It is going to be one or the other. So we looked at example uh, number one of traditions. And it was our main text in um, Mark chapter 7, of course. Now we're going to skip over 2 Thessalonians. Okay? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're not going to read all of this, because this is going to be this is going to be a little bit long already. We've got a bunch of different texts we're going to jump around in. Most of them I already have printed out. So traditions shows up again. And again, I want to kick you back to part one where I presented the idea, the question, are traditions always bad? Or are they always good? Are they always called out by Messiah? Or are they sometimes right? Well, of course, I'd like to think I made that clear in part one. But to be clear here, when we insert man-made traditions, black, uh, black mark, red light flashing, not good. Yeshua called it out all day long. That's, that's everything he was confronting um, with the oral law and oral traditions of the, of the men of his day, the leaders, who sat in the chair of Moses and then jumped over and sat in their own chair. Um, we, of course, know this is the main problem he was encountering and confronting. Um, but in example two here of traditions, it shows up in a positive light in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 15. It says this, So then, brothers and sisters, okay, so brothers, do we need to do this? I love to do this, and people go, oh, gosh, Joel, how long this is going to take? Brothers and sisters, so we're talking, it seems like, by the wording, it seems like Shaul Paul is talking to these brothers and sisters in Thessalonica who have somehow come into the fold of belief. They have received the gospel good news that went all the way back to the beginning of time, um, was no new idea. They understood and made the connection that this Yeshua Messiah man came that was prophesied through the law and the prophets and everything that pointed to him had to that moment come to pass in the way that he probably very appropriately explained. And they're receiving that in some measure. Of course, he says, brothers and sisters. So they somehow they somehow understood that Yeshua came what to be the redeemer of Israel. Okay. He tells them this stand firm and hold on to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by our letter. Okay, so okay, so we just read in part one the traditions um, of the non-believing Pharisees, and Yeshua said, You're guilty of of walking according to the traditions of your elders and, and leaving behind my father's ways. But here we have um Yeshua's already left the scene and ascended and Shaul Paul is talking, and he says, Stand firm and hold on to the traditions that you were taught by word of mouth or by our letter. And so the, the the last little bit here makes it very clear. There's, of course, and they knew he, this is, we're reading letters thousands of years removed from a very ignorant standpoint in, in Western mindset culture that's been Christianized and tainted. These individuals obviously sitting in a room with with Paul knew what he was saying. They understood what he meant. We're just trying to we're just trying to make sense of any of it at all, doing the best that we can. Um, but these traditions which which they were taught, well what would they have been taught? Okay? We know that it's very, very likely they they would have um, heard a heavy dose of Torah. Paul, we know would, as as a, a student of Gamaliel, he would have had to memorize the entire Torah, friends. And so he's reading the Torah from his mind, from his memory. They're, they're, of course, reading Isaiah and all the prophecies and Messiah's come now, and they're making the connections. As I always say, this generation, this little teeny blip of time, got the fullness, man. They got the fullness but Thessalonica had their own issues that we'll get to momentarily but he's telling them you know hold on to these traditions that you've been taught by our letters and by our, our sermons our teachings our our, our um, in a in a jewish <coughs> excuse me our jewish understanding as we study that is this midrash where we're back and forth back and forth about well what about this well that that fits this but what about that it, it was a it was an ongoing dialogue a reasoning together that much of Christianity knows nothing about because we hate to disagree. Moving on. So what would the assembly at Thessalonica have been taught? Is there any way to know? Um, well, just let's just be simple. One can read what directly preceded this text in uh, verse 15 of chapter 2, um, including, but of course not limited to, a mysterious man of lawlessness, Um, that would come on the scene after something very significant, a great apostasy, a falling away period. Okay, I would propose that we're there. Many people, and rightly so, could say, well, man, this has been happening since Yeshua went up. Agreed. But it's very advanced now. We're more lawless than we've ever been. The people who claim to be in the body of Christ are more lawless than they've ever been. But there's a returning to uh, Father's ways, and I'm very excited to be a tiny part of that. But I do propose that we're there equally. Um, we also know from Acts 17, okay, because we gotta we gotta go through the context of what what shall Paul is teaching and where he's going and who he's talking to and what was their main issue and you know what what were these things that they would have, of course known that, that we're just ignorant to, uh, but in Acts chapter 17, uh, quote. Uh, Paul reasoned with the Thessalon- Thessalonians about the Scriptures. What were the Scriptures? We always have to do this. Was he reading Revelation? No. Was he reading Hebrews? Uh-uh. Okay? So um, he's reasoning with the Thessalonians about the law and the prophets, okay, in the synagogue for, for three Sabbaths, okay? And so we know this, but people just blow by that. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, stop. Do, do we, can we talk about what was happening and where they were? If they're opposing all of, you know, the law of Moses and how that's no good anymore? Like, do we, what are they doing? <laughs> um, do we really believe that Paul was correcting them when they would bring up the law and the prophets? And, and Paul's saying, no, you don't understand. No, he is confirming, affirming what the scriptures said because it was prophecy fulfilled in what was happening right then and there when all those individuals lived. It's the beginning of the onset of the new covenant reality. It's incredible. Equally, these Thessalonians were steeped in traditions of their own. And they had a hard time receiving Paul's presentations, as as we see here in Acts seventeen that goes on. Um, when the unbelieving Jews in Thessalonica, and then we'll pick up the scripture quote, learned that the word of Elohim had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea, they came there too. They went to Berea, <laughs> agitating and inciting the people. Okay, so these brothers and sisters and the, the non-believing Jews that were probably somehow mixed all in there. This is a whole hodgepodge of people and backgrounds and beliefs. But th- some Thessalonians followed Paul to Berea, and they're just stirring up dissension. They're just trying to make a scene, right? To make a fair comparison via the same text, we also read, quote, now the people of Berea were of nobler character than the ones in Thessalonica. Hmm. That's interesting. I did a word study on that, but there's not time for everything that we find, right? But it's very interesting the difference of, of the way they behave, the way they what what they were told, what they did with it, what lens they saw it through. It's all of us, friend. All of us come that way to the truth, to the good news, to to all of these things that Yeshua taught and the the Bible in its entirety. We all have different backgrounds, traditions, and vantage points. But these people in Berea that were of nobler character than the ones in Thessalonica, than the ones that were coming and stirring up some problems. Why? Because they, the Bereans, eagerly welcomed the message. Okay? They eagerly welcomed the message, searching the scriptures, the Tanakh, Every day to see if the things that Shaul was saying were true. Okay, do we see the difference? And this is, I'm trying to say, okay, this isn't just Bible history now. This is applicable to us right here as we talk about a Pharisaical Christmas. Okay, a unique look at the power of traditions, right? Again, if this doesn't land right here where we are today in our age, we're missing the whole point of the word of Elohim. The Bereans welcome these things and they search the scriptures to see if it's true, and to see if it's right, and to see if it's pleasing to Elohim. And if it's not, it's gotta go. And if it makes it through the sieve and the the, the filter of the scriptures, it remains, because it must all agree. It has to agree, and they knew they knew that. So please note. Man-made traditions are so strong that they even drive men to ruin others' pursuit of Yahweh's ways and Yahweh's traditions. You understand that? Friend, if you're not on this side of the of the fence with holidays, you don't know what I'm talking about. But man, who do you think you are? You think you're better than me? You think you know God better than me because you don't do Christmas? Friends, it is alive and well, the Christmas spirit. Others, it's okay. I know you don't do Christmas. It's okay. But we do. (laughs) And there's just always this underlying undercurrent of uh, awkwardness, right? Because we're on different sides of the stream of traditions. Yahweh's ways and traditions, the best I can find it and know how. I don't see Christmas in here anywhere, so I don't do it. And then the other side of the water says, you know what? I love baby Jesus and gifts, so get out of the way, friend. And there's the, there is a constant divide there, of course. The power of traditions is my point here, that we see within Acts 17 of these men going to even just ruin the Bereans' time of learning from the Scriptures. <laughs> uh, one can easily see that these traditions, in example number two, that, that Shaul Paul was delivering um, to the Bereans and even to the Thessalonians as well, taught by word of mouth and letter, would have been in line with Torah and the prophets. They agreed with the capital S scriptures. As the Bereans exemplified, if what was presented was a mere tradition of men, it had to go. It had to go. There was no other way. It could not remain. It wouldn't be tolerated. If it lined up with the law and prophets, it remained. Simple. Simple, simple, simple. Now, this is the proper handling of traditions right then, right there. We'll just say it honestly. This is how you handle traditions, friend. This is how you handle holidays. This is how you handle Christianity's presentation of a Pauline gospel that replaced the one that was there before. Friend, we've got to know what the word says, and if it is not in there and confirmed from beginning to end, then, friend, it needs burned. I know not everybody's like that. But we've got to practice facing things that we do not like because our traditions are so strong and so embedded in us and so dear to our heart. I get that. I have said that in Christmas episodes here for years. I have incredibly awesome memories of Christmas holidays in my memory, burned forever, that are wonderful family times that can never be taken from me. Yes and amen. But it is is a tradition of men. It's a tradition of men, period. It does not excuse or validate me duplicating that for my son today, knowing in my heart now, according to the word of Elohim, it's simple idolatry, which is setting up something to worship Elohim or as Elohim that is not what he intended or what he instructed. Do we need to go back to Cain and Abel? I don't think so. Moving on. If men did this today, what the Bereans did, which was what? Let's just read the word. The Bereans eagerly welcomed the message. They eagerly welcomed the truth. And they searched the scriptures every day to see if what they were being told was true. So with that in mind, if men did this today, if Christians did that today instead of just celebrate it because their forefathers handed it to them, if they did this with Christmas... Christmas as a celebrated holy day for Yahweh's people to memorialize would simply not exist anymore. Now the world would keep doing it. Isn't that ironic? The world would keep doing it. Have your Black Friday sales, get you a big screen TV on 10% off, go to your Christmas plays... Jesus isn't in there anyway half the time, but we got Santa and reindeer. Get your photos taken, wear red and green sweaters, have a party, have a meal. You see what I'm saying? It can still continue, and it would. I proposed that, I remember, three years ago. Christmas would continue on if Christianity ever got out. It's not necessary to have baby Jesus in there. It's just not. It it can be self-sustaining without anything biblically connected at all to it. Christmas, if we did what the Bereans did, would be exposed as an adopted pagan practice and would thereby be prohibited by Yahweh's people. Done deal. The Bereans would have surely known from studying the scriptures that one cannot take something worldly and profane and make it holy. You cannot. It must connect to the entirety of the whole. It must line up with the law and prophets, or it does not belong and cannot remain. In one belief, in one's belief system, if there's something Paul said that doesn't make sense and doesn't line up with what Isaiah said or Nehemiah or or the or the prophecies of Daniel or Ezekiel or, or something about the gospel, if it doesn't make sense, friend, you can't just throw out the capital S scriptures and go with the Pauline version of the gospel. No way, no how. That is horrible, horrible, horrible studying um, protocol. <laughs> We have got to take time to, as the Bereans study, devour the Scriptures to properly understand. You will never understand the Newer Testament, friend, until you begin to understand the older. It is impossible. They are so intricately connected. They are inseparable, which was Father's intention. It is perfect. Yahweh hates the mixing of the worldly and profane with his holy, holy, holy ways. It's a very clear biblical pattern. Uh, Many Christians, they simply speak of Christmas as if it is impossible for a memorialized day that is about Jesus' birth to be wrong in any way. It's impossible. Literally impossible. Well, friend, your major scene is not biblically accurate. There's no donkeys and cow poo, and and that's not even realistic. I know that. My grandma gave that to me, Joel. And there you are. There you have it. Don't touch it. It's not a Berean approach. Let's just use the word alone. It's not a Berean approach. It is a a non-believing, pharisaical Christmas approach, to be clear. We will be one or the other, friend. In our heart of hearts, it doesn't have to come out of here. It's the posture of our heart. Are we holding on to our traditions because we love them and they're good, dang it? (laughs) Or, you know what? This might be pagan idolatry, and if the word of Elohim does not confirm that it's not that um, that it is, if the word of Elohim confirms that it is that, I want nothing to do with it. You understand what I'm saying? Or if it's not biblically endorsed by my Father as a celebratory holy day marked to memorialize, why in the world do I want to do it? That's a good question as well. That must be asked, in my opinion. But can it be wrong? Can Christmas be wrong? I think so. That's why we walked away from it years and years and years ago. Again, to be clear, before Feast and Sabbath understanding was even on our radar, I would submit if you watch um, or listen to over at patdesign.com, the the Halloween message I did, Halloween and Christians, um, just a month ago. This is the same thing to me. It's the exact same thing, just a different holiday, different man-made holiday. I know it's a huge jump for many believers, but it's the same to me. Um, biblically, we're not allowed to hijack pagan holidays, put Jesus in it, and thereby magically make it holy. We cannot do that. We don't have the authority to do that. It's dangerous theology. Um, and It's a biblical pattern that has to run the entire course of human history, this way of thinking. We try to justify what we want to do and make it all Christiany just enough to smooth our conscience. Friend, that's not holy, consecrated, set-apart living. It's compromise. Let's just call it what it is. We must be as the Bereans and search the Scriptures to see what is acceptable and what is validating Elohim's Word. We must be as the Bereans and search the Scriptures for what is right. And if it doesn't make the cut, it's got to go. It should not be, I'm not saying it won't be hard. I'm not saying it won't be hard. For many people it is. For us, cut the cord, we're out of here. For many people this would be excruciating. I understand that. But do we count the cost and follow Yeshua or not? We all have to make that decision personally. I understand that. One can easily see that the type, if you will, of traditions is entirely dependent upon whose they are and what they are. Per usual, when we study the word, context is everything. As we already looked at, example one was the traditions of the elders. Example two, the traditions which um, were taught by Shaul Paul by mouth and letter, which were, of course, peppered with Torah and, and the, the understanding of the prophets and their prophecies being fulfilled in Messiah. It was all interconnected. There was no separation. Um, And that is very important for us to realize, that these traditions are dependent upon context. Um, Some other scriptures worth noting to further today's purpose. Let's just talk about uh, several Bible verses, and um, we'll wrap up this part, and I think we'll get this one done in three parts today. Mark chapter 4, verse 19, Yeshua is sharing a parable about seeds, soil, uh, soil and sowing. Um, He says this, that the cares, lusts, desires, the cravings of the world choke out the word. Okay, let's let's just stick with this for a mere moment uh, of what I read back in part one about how um, the these men who were guilty of holding on their, to their traditions, neglecting the commandments, and um, setting them aside, they they nullified and invalidated. They made to no effect the word of Elohim. And so this is Yeshua back in Mark chapter four saying the same thing that that our own natural cravings, our own desires, which, friend, it's more than just like a, a, a perversion or a an, an indulgence of of um, alcoholism or or you know some other abuse or or you know something like that that our minds always go to because we're trained in Christian-y thinking, which is like you know blatant addictions, but friends, our cares, our lusts, our desires that are temporal and fleshly and natural, are a laundry list of things. Carnality. And these choke out the word of Elohim, okay? They literally stifle it to the point where it is of no effect. The same accusation that Yeshua put upon these men who are nonbelievers because of their traditions, they choked out, nullified the word of Elohim. And we can do that as well today just like they did. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. You know that you were redeemed from what? From the futile way of life. And how did you get it? It was handed down from your ancestors. Okay? This is just mere humanity. We walk out what we inherited. It is what we do. It's what every generation has done. Until someone comes along or or multiple individuals come along and Yahweh by his his incredible act of his Holy Spirit bringing a, a wind of change, a true reformation, an undoing via repentance and turning, a returning to his ways, we just inherit what was given to us from our ancestors, like in this as in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. But you were redeemed from those things, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of, of a lamb without spot or defect, the blood of Messiah, Colossians 2, 6, 7, and 8. Therefore, as you received Messiah Yeshua as your Lord, so continue to walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in your faith, just as you were taught, here we are again, overflowing with thankfulness. See that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men and the basic principles of the world, rather than Messiah. And so here we are again. You have sides of the coin. You have either or. You have the, the cares, lusts, desires, cravings of the world that still try to get with you, even though in Colossians we're told that these were things, or actually First Peter, these were things you were redeemed from, from your goyim Gentile ways, But now in Messiah, you're what? A new creation, putting on the mind of Messiah, walking in his Father's ways, pleasing in his sight. If you love him, keep his commands. See that no one comes along in that condition and takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men and the basic principles of the world rather than Messiah. In other words, you you abandon. Here we are back where we started. You set aside the ways of Messiah, which are the ways of the Father, and you walk what? In, an, in another deceptive way that's empty and vain and is rooted in being a tradition of men. It will be one or the other. And all of us are vulnerable to these ways. And, friend, they're delivered in a beautiful package with a bow on it under the Christmas tree that says, this is for you. And it just hits us in that place. If that carnality is in a, in a condition and a posture of being awakened, that will do it. That will hit that spot and we will be deceived and we will be led captive. Exactly like the word warns us if we're not cautious and careful. Joshua 20. Well, let's read this one and the next one. Let's wrap this up. Uh, part two. And go to part three. So we're talking about a Pharisaical Christmas. We're going to talk about Joshua chapter 24 if you want to get your Bible out. We're just going to read a few verses there. And we're going to have a very powerful finish, friend. Also go to 2 Kings chapter 22. Joshua 24 and 2 Kings 22, we're going to look at um, something that is told uh, uh, to us about a choice. And then in 2 Kings chapter 22, I believe this is going to drive home our point our point very, very clearly after after we look at a, a king named Josiah. And uh, we're just going to see, is, is what we have inherited a non-believing Pharisaical Christmas? Um, and we've been duped into it by the power of traditions that Yeshua himself and and everybody from front to back has warned us about, this power of traditions. So, friend, are you free of traditions? Are you free of Pagan, idolatrous, worldly, carnal, natural traditions that men fabricated and created and then handed down to you and your children and your children's children if you do not stop that tradition of men and pursue wholeheartedly the best you can, the best that I can is all I'm responsible for, returning to Father's perfect ways, friend. It will be one or the other. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. You're watching and listening to the Path to Zion podcast. We're rediscovering the ancient way. Tune back in for part three right after this.